0: It's Thursday, August twenty second. Welcome to Market Fullery. I'm Chris Hell joining me in studio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, hey, we got a couple of retailers. Yes, we have a couple of thoughts on Apple's latest news. Couple of thoughts. Couple of thoughts, and we're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Nordstrom. Second quarter profits from Nordstrom came in solidly higher than expected. <laughs> the stock is up about 14% this morning. Last week on Motley Fool Money, you and Ron Gross and I were talking about the retail industry in general, and the last thing I asked you guys was what's a retailer you're keeping your eyes on for the next 6 months as we right now are in the thick of back to school shopping and then at the end of the year you got Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the holidays. And Ron said Nordstrom. Yeah. And when you look at among other things, at how Nordstrom is managing their inventory, they're doing it the right way. I think so. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad that you said results came in
1: solidly better than expectations, as opposed to just solid. Because I would not say these were solid results. Um, they were. This was an expectations thing. I think that's the market's reaction today. It wasn't as bad as it probably could have been. Um, but when you look across the board, I mean, sales are down, net income is down, earnings per share all down um, modestly. Uh, but it's not terribly surprising in today's retail environment. Um, but to your point, I, I do think they are managing inventory in a very good way that is helping uh, keep things going in the right direction. Inventory is down six and a half percent, and that's good. I mean, for listeners who, who want to know the difference there, I maybe mean, you have a company where inventory levels are rising uh, at really, really rapid rates. I mean, that can be inventory that then sits on the balance sheet for a long time if if they don't sell it. And a lot of times, when it comes to selling retail, you got to offer low prices, uh, and that hits margins and profitability. So, you like to see those inventory levels keep in check, uh, particularly when you compare them to sales growth. And in this case, sales fell a little bit, so it's nice to see inventory tracking down a little bit as well. Um, so, the reaction, probably the appropriate one, but it's not a business that I would say as
0: Ron might, firing, is firing on all cylinders. Here's another part of their business that's definitely not firing on all cylinders. Uh, <laughs> digital sales were only up 7%. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm not saying that's a red flag, but holy cow, they got to figure out a way to get that at least twice as high.
1: Yeah, you do feel
0: like the, I mean, it's difficult to say.
1: How far they can take their digital strategy, right? I mean, I guess every retailer is a little bit different in that regard. Digital sales up 4%, as you mentioned, representing 30% of the business overall. I feel like they're probably around saturation there. I don't know that digital sales are going to represent much more going forward. I mean, this is a physical retailer still at the end of the day, and I think it's going to rely on that physical presence to a degree um gross square footage was actually down modestly from a year ago as well so i mean i think you've got a business here that's trying to find its place in the world and how big it can actually be i don't know that it really should or can get much bigger it's worth noting i mean they don't have the best balance sheet in the world net debt of around 4 billion dollars and when you have a business that is shrinking and Buy all metrics this is a business that's shrinking to a degree um, they're gonna to need to, to make sure they keep fiscal fitness um, you know as, as a main priority they tighten their earnings guidance a little bit for the year uh stocks trading around nine times full year estimates it's probably a fair price today for for this retailer it's a good good brand good name I don't know that I find this to be some kind of a, a stock that I'd want to own I mean you know we're talking about Maisie's uh, last week, and I could see where Macy's might be a value play from the sell-off. I would kind of think the opposite here. This is probably one where you, you might want to sell and take the gains and find other uh,
0: opportunities. Well, and one more thing that complicates things, I think, not just for investors like us, but also for probably institutional investors. And I'm not saying that companies should necessarily manage their business just for the sole purpose of impressing institutional investors. But for a couple of years now with Nordstrom, we've had sort of this on again, off again, Uh, we think, because this is a family run business. Yeah. And so the idea of, well, we think we're going to sell the business, no, we're not sure, we've decided not to, that's gone on for a couple of years. And I think that sort of uncertainty, That goes in the negative column.
1: I agree. It's a will they or won't they? You can't really figure if they're all in on a given strategy or not. They're just kind of trying to. They're kind of playing a wait and see game. It feels like. And I mean, we're in the face of a consumer that, by all accounts, is in very good shape. I think most most entities out there, banks and retailers, are telling us that the consumer is feeling pretty good about things. And uh, I mean, Nordstrom again. I mean, they they have a fairly big presence. I mean, they're going to generate their fair share of traffic. And I mean, you know, they're. Bringing in fifteen billion dollars in sales per year, so it's not like they're not doing anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, some certainty as to what the long term goal is there would help. I, I do want to give them credit; they they have been able to grow their their loyalty membership. Uh, which we know that's a powerful lever in, in retail. I like the name, the Nordy Club. Did you know that was the name of I did of it? not so know it's, that. Yeah, it's the Nordy Club. So, it kind of sounds like maybe it belongs in Annapolis or something. Um, <laughs> but 12 million active customers now, and that was an increase of 12% over last year. And they represent 64% of sales. So, we know that those loyalty memberships can really generate um, some powerful sales over longer periods of time. Uh, so, it sounds like they've got that going in the right
0: direction. Dick's Sporting Goods, second quarter profits and revenue, both came in higher than expected. They raised guidance for the year. Stock isn't going crazy, and this is not a stock that's been on fire lately, so I think the shares are up about 4-5%. or when you look at this, do you think to yourself, "Oh, they're starting to turn the corner," or do you think uh, this is nice, but they need to do even better? It's all a mirage, Chris. It's <laughs> well, a all mirage? Just a mirage. <laughs>
1: okay, maybe not a mirage, but let me explain. I mean, I think the good news is I don't think you should sleep on how good of a quarter this really was for for this company. I mean, it was a good quarter for them, um, given given the competition and how this space is changing over uh, to where consumers and sporting uh, goods and equipment and apparel are are much more focused on building a relationship with the direct brands themselves, whether it's Nike or Under Armour, Adidas. Um, For Dick's to grow uh, sales, 3.8% for the quarter, and comps, 3.2% for the quarter. Pretty darn good, given the given the challenges they're facing, and and that comp number was driven by an increase in the average ticket and transactions. The problem is, though, if you look at the profitability of the business, you know they talk about earnings per share. The earnings per share growth here is completely manufactured. I mean, when we look at actual net income, which is just the total number, not worried about the actual per share number there. Net income for the quarter of 112.5 million. Last year, that number was 119.4 million. The reason why the earnings per share number is going up this quarter is because they're buying back shares and reducing that share account. And so that's the mirage, and I think that's what you really need to be concerned with if you're considering investing in this business, because it is another one where I feel like maybe they are running into a bit of a wall as far as e-commerce and how much that can that can account for the business. You know, e commerce sales were up 21%, but still only represent 12% of overall sales. And it feels like that number's kind of hit a wall. It's not really in growth mode. They opened two new stores, they closed two stores. Uh, They've got $3.5 billion in debt. I mean, they're repurchasing shares with that kind of a debt load. Inventory, I mean, man, you want to talk about for what Nordstrom did really well, Dick's inventory is up 19%. And that was self, that was, that was, you know, that's something that they, that was intentional. and we we saw how that strategy worked out for Under Armour. So, I think there are a lot of reasons to be concerned about this one. I don't know that I really buy into the market's enthusiasm today.
0: So, we're a couple of years removed from Sports Authority going out of business. Is this just an industry that, I don't want to say shouldn't exist, but is this just an industry that no one can do well in pretty close I mean I, I I kind of wonder if
1: it really should exist at this point because even even dick sporting goods is going towards a private label strategy and um you know they did make the point on the the private label strategy in the call that it's doing okay uh, they don't have a lot of very compelling brands within that private label uh, under that private label umbrella so I, I don't know how far they can really run with that there are some concerns there in the near term regarding China and the tariffs that are coming to play. Hard goods versus soft goods, I think they're a little bit diversified there in their supply chain, so it's not really killing them. But again, I think when you go back to their private brands and you think, well, I don't know how much sway they really have, particularly in the face of companies like Nike and Under Armour and Adidas, I do wonder why these companies even exist at this point. It's not to say that Dix is headed to zero, but I certainly would not be buying shares today. I mean, the guidance today puts the stock at full, uh, 10, 10 times full year estimates, and I think uh, that's
0: probably even a little bit optimistic. It's interesting, because anytime we talk about Bed Bath & Beyond, as you know, uh, I say something along the lines of, there's a business here because Bed Bath & Beyond is selling stuff that people actually need. Mm -hmm. Um, When I looked at Target's most recent quarter, um, a light bulb went off for me, and I just thought, oh, wait, Target is the one that is disrupting Bed Bath & Beyond. Or maybe not disrupting them, but basically Target is is selling the same stuff. It's an awful nice
1: substitute. And they're they're (laughs) doing it in a better and
0: smarter way. Yeah. I say all that because I don't see Target or Walmart for that matter doing the same thing to sporting goods that I see them doing to home goods. And so that's why I ask is this a business that maybe shouldn't even exist? Because for the moment, I don't really see anyone doing it in a very compelling way. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think there is really anyone out there doing it in a very
1: compelling way. I think, for the most part, you know, one of the things we love about the sports equipment and apparel market is that um, it is fairly insulated due to the nature of the products and the brands that that uh, pursue those markets. I mean. There is a brand credibility that I think matters when it comes to sporting apparel. And Nike and Under Armour, Puma, Adidas, all of these companies, they've done a great job over the years of developing those brands as reliable and trustworthy. And so you'll see whether it's Walmart or Target or Dick Sporting Goods or wherever. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have. Sporting goods and sporting equipment and apparel and stuff like that. There, it's not a key part of the strategy. It's it's just something that they offer, and so you might buy it if you're there. Uh, But more and more, uh, sports enthusiasts know what they want, and so they're going to go directly to the source in more cases because that source continues just to get closer and closer
0: to the consumer. Or are they going to go to the specialty retailers? I mean, yesterday, Seth, Jason, and I talked a little bit about. well, I was listening. Seth was talking. Uh, he was talking about a <laughs> uh, a running uh, store that he I loves heard, to go yeah. to, and uh, you know, and locally there's a there's a chain here in DC called Pacers. Pacers. Um, one here in Old Town that I go to, and so I played golf with Chris Farley, by the way, the guy that owns Pacers. Oh, really? Yeah, back
1: in the day, like a little while, several years ago, um, I played golf with uh, Chris and JP Flame of the Sports Junkies, and um, Man, I think Eric Wadden might have joined us that day too, but yeah, played golf with Chris Farley. What an amazingly nice
0: guy. Is just he, a good soul. Is he also a good golfer?
1: Um, I mean, it's not really where he shines. He's by far and away a better runner than he is a golfer. Well, but it was a very enjoyable 18 holes of golf with him because he was just such a good good guy. Well, that's good to hear. I, I mean,
0: <laughs> not surprising to hear that he's that nice a guy, but um but it was going to be really disappointing if in addition to being an elite <laughs> runner, he's also yeah. a really you know an above average Double golfer. Double threat. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, back to dick's sporting goods i'm I'm wondering if that is the future of. Bricks and mortar retail is the specialty store. It's like you know, if you're just doing general stuff, you can get general stuff in a lot of places. But if you're a runner, you're going to go to a local running store. If you're a golfer, there's a there's a pro shop you're going to go to. Um, You know, not too far from Full HQ, there's a lacrosse shop. Yeah, it's all things lacrosse. So I'm wondering if if that's what the future of sporting retail looks like. I
1: I think it it certainly. I can understand why it would go in that direction, because I think that's very much akin to these big brands creating more direct relationships with the consumer. It's essentially creating that long-term relationship of trust in the consumer, knowing what they want. and If you play a specific sport, uh, then I think it even makes more sense uh, to go support. And, and I mean, you know, listen, we live in a time now where not only do people want to support their local businesses, but technology has enabled those local businesses to succeed. Uh, thanks to all of these tools out there, whether it's coming from something like a Square or a PayPal, or you know, getting getting real estate, however it may be, it just it's 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 an environment where I think it's easier for smaller businesses to succeed today, um, it, which makes it even more enjoyable to support them as, as local uh, citizens.
0: Apple's new credit card is available. This is the one announced earlier this year that's backed by Goldman Sachs. Uh, I have not seen an actual card. I've seen pictures. It I've is a, seen enough. It is a gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous titanium card that comes with a couple of warnings, including this one, and I'm quoting straight from Apple's website. Some fabrics, like leather and denim, might cause permanent discoloration. That sounds like a problem. Thank God wallets aren't made of leather. (laughs) Exactly. Um, A lot of, or I should say, a decent amount of blowback and ridicule coming Apple's way. And yet, I, I don't know, I look at this. I've thought about it over the last 16 hours or so because last night you and I were going back and forth on Twitter a little bit. I've been reading some more stuff today. I don't know. I I I think I've already changed my mind because initially I thought this is ridiculous, and maybe in some ways it is, but it kind of seems, in some ways, on brand for Apple. And by that I mean, Apple is a premium brand. It wants to remain a premium brand, and if part of the cost of doing business is Getting ridiculed for stuff like this, they're going to say, "Well, that's fine. It's important to us aesthetically that we have the nicest looking physical credit card." I, I, I think you said it exactly right. I mean, I think it's something that is very easy
1: to make fun of. Um, you know, that's one of the best parts of this job is just having I, fun,
0: which know? we always appreciate. Yeah,
1: and I mean, it's like, so. I mean, I, I, I do. I love the idea that Apple is pursuing the payments business. I mean, they've obviously done it uh, for a little while here with Apple Pay, and they're going to continue that relationship on through Apple Card. I mean, I I like that strategy. I think it makes sense. I agree with them pursuing it. This is just one of those things that we get to make fun of. Um, it is, I think, more or less on brand for them. It is one of those things that just kind of makes you feel like, all right, this is about as much as I can take. Like it's almost like they're, you know, they're trying to. Present this reinvention of the credit card, which just to me seems very silly. Um, Now, I had a lot of questions uh, regarding the card, and actually, people saying, "Well, why bother with the card?" You know, I mean, just use your phone, pay with your phone. And and I mean, I I appreciate that. I mean, Apple Pay makes it very easy to pay with your phone. Um, it, It you have to remember, there are a lot of people out there in the world that really prefer to use contactless payments. I mean, just taking your credit card and just boom. Swiping it right by the the device, they're just plunking it on top of the device there, and it reads it, and uh, you go about your very uh, you go about your merry way. Now, I mean, like I personally would prefer probably a contactless over an Apple Pay, but I use both. I mean, it's not a matter of saving time versus one versus the other. It's just a matter of what do you find easier at the given time. Um, so, I think it's going to be key that they continue putting a card out. I mean, so I don't think they should be eliminating the card. I like the fact that they want to put out a piece of art as a card. I mean, I really don't think there's any problem with that. It's just really easy to make fun of, and and that's that's you know every once in a while you need to do that, right? Um, I mean, there there is a spot on the website, there is a page on the website titled. You know how to safely store and carry your titanium Apple card. How to clean your Apple card? Like it gives you a lot of instructions there. So it's for real. It does feel like it could be straight out of the Onion, but this is straight out of Apple instead.
0: You know what? Let's give them credit because certainly when something like the iPhone came along, the iPad, and uh, people said, "Wow, this I'm paying a lot for this device, so I want to spend a little bit more money to protect it." Yeah. Get an iPhone case or an iPad case. Someone right now is hard at work on the Apple Card case. Yeah, or or the
1: Apple Card cleaning kit, right? Like in the spray and the little chamois that comes with. I mean, hey, anything can happen, right? I mean, but I, I like I said, I mean, I do agree with you. This is right on brand for them. I don't fault them for it. You know, they got to take the good with the bad, and we can make fun of it. But hey, i I, I got to believe this is probably the prettiest
0: credit card out there. Now, that matters to you, cool. If it doesn't, well, there are plenty of choices. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from John Voss, who writes I'll be an uncle for the first time in a, in a month or so. Mazel tov! Uh, I'm interested in purchasing some sort of investment for my new niece or nephew. I would appreciate any recommendations on the most cost effective way to do so. Since the new family member won't need money or access to it for a long time, I was thinking about a bond fund. That would yield a yearly dividend that will grow over the next couple of decades or so. Any help would be appreciated, especially if you could recommend the specific type of account I should open for them. Um, congratulations, John. Great question. Great that you're uh, going to do this for your niece or nephew because um, someday they will thank you. Yep. Good. Um, so I think it's safe to say that anytime we're thinking about investing and, and we're thinking in Terms of decades, and the younger you are, the more decades you have for investments to grow. I think we're Moving away from bonds, Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, that would be my um, that would be my initial reaction there. I mean, I I do feel like you know we talk a lot about you're in one of two stages in life. You're either as an investor, you're either in grow your wealth mode or you're in protect your wealth mode. Um, Grow your wealth mode is when you are younger and you have a lot of time in front of you to focus on growing your wealth, and that's when stocks make the uh, ideal uh, investments. And so I would certainly goes stocks over bonds, 10 times out of 10 in this case, because you're right, he's got a couple of decades or she's got a couple of decades to go before they can even consider owning this this gift that you're going to give them. and So, I would go stocks, I would go with the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF. The ticker there is V, as in Vanguard, OO. You can just look it up. You can check it out. Go to Vanguard's site directly. Um, the fees are, are very, very modest. Um, are there other vehicles to mimic the S and P? Absolutely. This is just—I try to keep it simple. And Vanguard is a name that we trust, and we talk about it all the time here. Um, but, but this is a fun belt. its built essentially to mimic the returns of the S and P five hundred. And when you are talking about ten and twenty and even thirty years, I mean, all you have to do is look at the S and P five hundred chart. Over the course of of that stretch of time, and you'll see what we mean. Those gains are just there for the taking, and so I would go S and P five hundred index fund, VOO is a good one, and then I would also make sure you you can do this as as the uncle, or you can just do it in conjunction with the parents, but open up a custodial account for the child. Um, And the main reason you want to do that, number one, I think it takes a lot of the thinking out of it, it is the child's account. You're just the custodian until the child's of age. But then also, if you actually own this and then think you're just going to give it to the child at some point when they're older, you'll have some gifting uh, ramifications there. The The tax bill that comes with gifting what hopefully will be a substantial sum of money in that in that time frame uh, could come back to bite you. So do a custodial account for the child. Uh, very easy to do. I mean, I have I have one for each of my children, and um, it just makes you the custodian or the parent the custodian, and then the child the beneficiary once they reach uh, the appropriate age. I think John should be the custodian. I mean, I think you just have that conversation <laughs> with the parents. You have that conversation with the parents, and I'll leave it
0: at that. A uh, couple quick notes. Uh, this afternoon, uh, Jason, Ron Gross, and I are doing a live QA on YouTube uh, how to get started investing and. Uh, you can check it out at the Motley fool's youtube channel which is free to subscribe to like this podcast it's free uh, you can just go to youtubecom Fool, and uh, i think this is one of those that's going to hold up over time just because i the the questions we get from the audience in the second half of the q and a that we're doing is you know those those will be more time stamped but uh, but i think the first half of this is going to be like sort of good nuts and bolts for anyone who's really just getting started. Yeah, i'm excited about it. I always enjoy doing
1: these things. It's you know, it's one of the reasons why we exist is to to help people and get them in you know, get them going in the right direction and i think today is going to really uh, focus on that precisely. And last
0: but not least, if you're looking for even more stock ideas, if you're not already a member of Stock Advisor, which is our flagship service here at The Motley Fool, you can check out Stock Advisor. Uh, You get stock recommendations from Tom and David Gardner, you get their Best Buys now, and a lot more. And you can go to stockideas.fool.com. That's stockideas.fool.com. I will put that in the description of this podcast, uh, we've we've arranged for a generous discount for the dozens of listeners. So hey now. check it out, uh, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here, and Thank I'll you. see you in the other studio in a little while. Can't wait. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the Iron Man, Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.